You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more. Today on our show, I'm talking with Kara Lynch. Kara, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Good Kara, to be on the you're airwaves. in Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tell me about that. I, I, um, I expected you'd be in New York, but you're in Tulsa, so... Um, what's happening there? What's what's going on in in your world at the moment? Um, so I'm currently a Tulsa Artist Fellow. Um, this is my I'm starting my second year in the fellowship, and I arrived here in August 2020. Um, so the fellowship is this opportunity to be supported as an artist for a full year with the chance to renew and um, we have we receive studio space and housing and uh, monthly stipend um, so what's happening here is um, it's like how did I end up even applying for the Tulsa Artist Fellowship um, I mean I guess I'll say that it um, though I had no clue when I first applied, which was at least a year in advance of arrival, um, that we'd be looking at a pandemic and it would be a really nice sort of safety net for me in 2020 to have this opportunity to be just working as an artist um, as my sole occupation. But when I applied, I had in mind to continue a project that I've been sort of working through for some time, which is um, a, an elegy, a living memorial to this woman, Laura Nelson, and her son, L.D., who were lynched in Oklahoma in 1911 at a bridge over the North Canadian River. And so I had imagined that I would continue to do this work and it would be a good opportunity to bring the sort of practice and research that I've been doing for I guess almost 10 years around their story to be landed in Oklahoma and see what that would bring and then it also coincided with um, commemoration activities around the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. So when I applied, I had those two things in mind um, as why I should be in Tulsa, <laughs> Oklahoma in um, 2020 and 2021. Right. Um, um, well, because well, both of those, uh, you know, are kind of um, such, an, such, uh, such intense and, and, and violent and pivotal uh, events, um, the 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 couple that you're talking about that not the couple but the the two that were that were lynched that were killed what is what is what is what is their story why why those two um in particular yeah i mean i i'll say that um what brought me to their story um are yeah it's like which which parts to share first but sort of the meta context for finding out about them is that I have this sort of long-term project that I've been working on called Invisible and the proposition of that and sort of like this is 
how I fuel my art practice is this proposition. What if the transatlantic slave trade never happened? And imagining uh, ourselves in 2099 and there's no record in the history books of that event and its legacy, and yet the people feel it in their bones anyway. They just don't know why. Um, so I've been generating work in this conversation of like a African and indigenous futures kind of context of like what happens, how do we understand ourselves if we were to turn everything back and there was no 1492 and there was no transatlantic slave trade and then what would our lives look like and how do you conjure that through an art practice. And somewhere at the beginning of working on Invisible, I um, went to an exhibition of lynching photographs at the New York Historical Society, and it was an exhibition called Without Sanctuary. And in the next few years, I continued to look at these images, these photographs, many of them postcards of lynchings um, in the US, and I came upon this photograph of Laura Nelson and L.D. Nelson, her son. And the image includes, it's the day after they were lynched, and um, there's a group of townspeople on the bridge above them, and then they are hanging from ropes below. And the photograph is taken in such a way that you kind of understand that the photographer is actually on the river. Um, so I started to become really interested in all three of these perspectives, the perspective of the photographer below, the perspective of the people who came for spectator sport who are on the bridge looking out, and also this perspective of Laura Nelson and L.D. Nelson, who in the photograph, there are some ways that, for me, though I know they're being, they were murdered by the gravity of that rope, for me, they're also floating. So I wanted to think, like speculate on these three locations of the bridge. And so I've been just generating um, work around those questions for some time. And um, the piece that I, that is specifically about their story is called Saved. And it brings, pe gathers people to bridges in the U.S. And we've only done one iteration of this. And this was at, in Harlem at the 145th Street Bridge. And it gathers people together and it recreates the photograph. Um, there are no effigies. It's not that we recreate the lynching. It's that we recreate this space of the photograph. And um, what we did in Harlem is that I worked with a really amazing creative team, all women of color, um, predominantly African descendant women. And 
we developed a score um, that came out of these uh, improvisations with Impact Repertory Theater, which is a youth empowerment arts project in, the, in Manhattan and Harlem. And with the young people developed this composition that is what the composer Courtney Bryan describes as a collective whale. And then Courtney transposed that whale and that breathing into experimental four-part harmony for three gospel choirs. And then we worked with three gospel choirs, two in Harlem and one from um, New Jersey, and came together and they sang this score. Um, and we had sort of participant um, audience members walk the bridge and pose for the photographs while the choirs and the youth group uh, presented the score for the audience. And so though the story of their lynching is what brings you to the space, there's no language, there's no, the, the score is entirely vocalization and being in the place under this bridge. Um, and when the piece ends, the choir returns to the public and becomes, again, part of the group or part of the congregation. And at the end, everyone receives a postcard that is from an iteration before. So when we do the next one, for instance, the photograph that we took at Harlem will become the postcard image for the next location. Um, so everybody leaves with a postcard similar to at the original um, event. And, and the events will, so you've done that, that one, and then there's plans for them to be done at, at multiple bridges throughout the United States or, or where? Yeah, I mean, I think what I'll say is that the original ambition was, I'm going to do 13 of these and study all over the country. And I have to be honest that now I'm like, I might be able to do two more <laughs> maximum. Um, I also will share that, you know, um, there are times when you just like cannot get funding for something. And I, in 2018, I was like, okay, well, maybe that iteration we did in Harlem, that's it. Um, and then I got some funding from the MAP Fund and um, have been gathering some energy and initiative to do another iteration in New Orleans. That's the main plan. And then one here in Oklahoma and specifically to try and understand what is possible, what kind of elegy um, could we create in community for Laura and LD Jin Okima at the original bridge and what that looks like. Well, thanks for, for, for sharing all of that because it's, 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 very, it's very beautiful and very disturbing and a, and a kind of, um, uh, you know, important, such an important project to kind of carry on and do in different places because it's also... It's also educational, right? It's 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 an homage. It's 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 yeah. poetic. It's uh it's a uh, you know um, 
it's it's all of these things, but it's also it also is about education, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's. I mean, I think one of the. Well, it takes some time to make it, and the idea has been like, yes, there's this score that's already set for it. You know, some people have to be on the bridge. It's a sound piece, so there's voice. Um, but how it gets configured with community is up to them and up to the location. And for me, it had to link to the legacy of this racial violence that the contemporary you know, community is dealing with. And so whatever that looks like. So at the time that we did it in Harlem, we were talking a lot about stop and frisk. Um, and we also hearkened back to the um, 1917 silent march that the NAACP initiated as one of their first mass mobilizations in New York and as a protest against police violence in St. Louis. Um, but the, their mass mobilization was in New York. So we, there ha I feel like there always has to be some way for it to connect to the stories that are of the place where we do the iteration. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're continuing to do this work. You're, you're in residence, and you're also, um, I imagine, writing, because that's, that's also who you are and what you do. Um, Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. I don't know a lot about that or anything about the interdisciplinario la linea, the, the feminist art collection. Oh my goodness! Along with, but we can we can talk about that or not. Um, but 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 I you know I I'm just I'm just curious because um, I was just reading you oh, know yeah. uh, Glitch the Fem a feminist manifesto and it was kind of fascinating and um and so I, you know I imagine that that. Um, I don't know what do you, what's happening in, in in your work in in terms of in terms of that in terms of the the, the mm -hmm. feminist collective or 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 yeah your yeah, your yeah, view yeah. on that now because that's also a kind of futurist um, issue right yeah 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 thank you um, you know I I really really miss my compañeras um, of La Linea, we've kind of been, uh, let's just say on hiatus. I won't say that we're, we are no more, but we have not done anything whew, maybe since 2008 or 2010. Uh, it's a while now. Um, that said, it is um, a component of my art practice is that I do have this kind of solo practice, for lack of a better word. Um, and I also generate and make work and, and in collective. Like that's always been a part of what I do. So early on I was in repo history. Um, and then La Linea is a feminist collective that was mostly, I mean, I joined in 2000 and three, but it had preceded that, and it was a group of women artists, predominantly writers in Tijuana, who also wanted to be in conversation with folks across the border. And so a few of us joined in 2003 and um, had this cross-border conversation um, through poetry and uh, performance and like public interactions. Um, and since then, I guess what I would say the current link is that in this last year, I am so grateful to have found my way into Gallery of the Streets, 
which is a, a loose configuration of artists and cultural organizers who have been brought together by an anchor artist, um, Kai Barrow, who's now in uh, New Orleans, though the idea is that any one of us could activate a project. Uh, up till now, Kai has been kind of the main uh, shaker, and we've all jumped in and they work. So last year was really amazing because there were, I think it's probably like 15 or 16 of us who were activating art in public space in and around the, um, the elections uh, with the idea of, you know, what, what are some more better ideas that we could have if we are trying to understand what an abolitionist art practice might be in these times. I love that, and 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 um, and so and so. What is that? What has that like evolved into? Uh, you know, for, for for you, I mean, you know, in, in terms of it being uh, class, gendered, uh, anarchist, queer, there, there, there's all all of, all of this is evolving, right? How how do you see the the kind of um, the direction? Of, yeah, I mean, of, of that now because these are evolving I, movements, right, and, and ways of thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me as an as an artist, it's been food, <laughs> like literally nourishment to keep me alive. Um, you know, being like just the the every other week meetings that we would have as a collective, where everybody throw down their ideas, and they started. I jumped in kind of late, but they had been for a full year having a surreal, black surrealist reading group. And then it uh, jumped into being activations. And so it was definitely food. It was definitely like a community of fellow travelers that I could, you know, throw ideas out and have something magical and inspiring come back. Um, and also these kind of repercussions of our voices. Um, and it also made me, I, I think one thing that's interesting to think about is that it um, helps me to not be so critical of myself as being as nomadic as I am. Um, or finding myself in other places and not quite, you know, understanding like, okay, well, if you're never in one place for long enough, are you really ever engaging with your community and your art practice? And I think the being a part of Gallery of the Streets gave me an opportunity to recognize ways that I am in community and building all the time, but I don't have to be rooted in only one place in order to do that. Like cross-pollination is also a part of that practice or that work. Um, yeah. I like it. Yeah. I like it. That sounds free. That sounds like how an artist should be. Mm, yeah. I mean, it's a little bit harder to to, to, in to, to, to a capitalist state. <laughs> right. 
I mean, it's also like being under the radar a little bit too. You know, I think that is the other thing that is very powerful about the work is, um, is, you know, folks are doing really incredible political work and yet it is under the radar. radar. And so um, there's, and using surrealism as, uh, a, a political or an aesthetic um, provocation also creates an opportunity to like take risks and push on things that otherwise are more difficult when you're, you know. But surrealism in what way? That, that, that makes me, that makes me think of when you talk about surrealism, and, and I think visually. It, it makes mm-hmm. me think of a kind of futurism, you know, a kind of fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, potentially futurism. I mean, when I think of, think of it, I think of really the past. But, but is that what you mean, that it takes you into a kind of a, a, a fantasy world or by surrealism? Or, or what do you mean exactly? Well, <laughs> I think one thing no, I mean, I don't think it's not futurism, but I think there are, like, multiple lineages, and I do think it's important to recognize that, like, while the surrealists were about play, yeah, I mean, I think this is the thing, is play is important because you can also take a pause from the capitalist machine. Right. At the same time the lineages of that play are also drawing from indigenous African ritual and play. You know, like a lot of their source material is coming from the African continent, coming from, you know, indigenous people's ritual as, a, as like a spark. And so for right. black surrealists, also, black surrealism is also an anti-colonial project. I like that. It's, a, it's an anti-colonial tool, in a sense, that, that, that type of visual uh, approach. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, for Kai, I mean, you should definitely interview here and see what she has to say, but I think it's also an uh, opportunity because it's like we if you're coming out of movement um, work, it's like they're ha- like we don't have enough resources or power or anything to, to fight this mega power, <laughs> you know, and yet we need to make these changes. Like the shift has got to happen. And so what are the ways to do that? And... Also, to I think this idea of play sparks everyone's imagination that another future is possible, um, mm-hmm. and and that we could co-create it. Right, right, right. Um, well, and that is that is the the kind of uh, collaborative future, right? That's that's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I think the other talk. thing is, you know, like black people, indigenous people are met in like a Western uh, sort of philosophical vantage point. We're outside of history. We don't even get a future. We're like, <laughs> like, like Native people are considered prehistoric, right? And then black people don't even get to have a history. 
so how could any of us have a future? So already it's like science fiction to imagine um, for indigenous peoples to exist in the future. And then to co-create it is a whole other aspect. And so what we're talking about now, which is, which is fascinating, is, is going into your, your current work. Is that manifesting itself in your work, collaborative work, or is, is this kind of moving into all your fields of creativity, including your writing? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I do think because that... Um, that long-term project, Invisible, was a proposition for myself to imagine a future where uh, this legacy of slavery and the legacy of contact and conquest in the Americas was undone somehow, and to try and imagine what then our lives would be and generate art around that, like to, to dig into my own imagination about it. So some of it includes writing that no one ever sees but me, and then it becomes the performance or video or sound installation or um, collective projects that I get involved with. I mean, I think, like, Gallery of the Streets, I forget what the exact prompt was, but we were, you know, given some, uh, some prompts for what our projects might be, our interventions might be. And I had, this was like March, April, May, June of 2020, and during lockdown, I was in New Orleans, thankfully, but not uh, on purpose. That wasn't what I had, where I thought I would be for all that time. But I had this period where I was waking very early in the morning, like 4 a.m., and the, like, the first thing I was doing was writing these kind of stories that I don't know where they exactly came from. And one of the stories was the idea of um, a black Indian, a Margaret Indian, coming around the corner of uh, North Claiborne Street in, in um, the Seventh Ward in New Orleans and hearing this incredibly soul-crushing sound and looking up and seeing that the I-10, which is this highway that was built during urban renewal slash Negro removal in the 60s, was rolling up onto itself and disappearing into the horizon. And in its place, old-growth oak trees were popping up where the pylons had been. And so that story became like the baseline for the intervention I proposed, which was to do a series of projections onto under the underneath of Claiborne Bridge um, to inspire like what would it be like if that was no longer there? What will this 
place become when these highways crumble. Um, you know, that's so interesting. It's so kind of evocative. Um, it's been great talking with you. Thanks, thanks so much for, for talking about your work and, and, and good luck with this. <laughs> I'm going. It sounds like a wonderful residency. Um, I just wanted to ask you one more question, which is, what are sure. you reading at the moment? What's on your bookshelf or nightstand or wherever? Yeah, I have way too many things. Um, but, yeah, I have a lot of things on the, on the bookshelf or the nightstand that are not being read. But the thing that I just read that is remarkable and that everybody should read is The Freedom Artist by Ben Oakry. And I'm now reading slash listening to Ben Oakry reading Prayer for the Living, which is a series of stories. But Freedom Artist is remarkable, remarkable, remarkable. And I was reading it, like the actual print version, and then I found the audiobook version of, of Ben Oakry reading himself, and it's phenomenal. I, I well, read you. it twice. <laughs> thank you. That's a great recommendation. Yeah, I have to read that I haven't. Um, thank you so much. I want to thank you for your work, your time, and thanks so much for talking with me today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're listening to Yale Radio WYBC. This is Brainerd Carey with the lives of the artists, architects, curators, and more.